I wonder what you'd have talked about if you'd have talked about the person next to you, if I just said, talk to the person next to you about whatever you want. What would be your instinctive thing to talk about? What do you love talking about? Is there something, or maybe someone, uh, who it just, that thing just is so exciting for you, you want to talk about it all the time. You will interrupt conversations to talk about it. You will, in fact, change the topic of conversation to talk about it. You'll think it's a totally natural progression in the conversation, but everyone else will be like, what just happened, and why are we now talking about this? Oh, I know why we're talking about this. It's because I'm talking to you. And you always talk about that. Maybe it's food, maybe it's film, maybe it's a political issue, maybe it's a faith issue. If you're a parent, maybe it's your kids. If you're a grandparent, it probably is your grandchildren. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We praise what we prize. We boast about it. We love to talk about it and celebrate it and enjoy it. With, those, with that in mind, let's read from uh, Paul's last words to us in Galatians, Galatians 6, verse 11 on. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. We live in a city that likes to boast about itself. Now, that's hardly surprising. Most people like boasting about themselves, and when you put them all together, they're all like, we are all pretty great, aren't we? Let's all talk about this. And Edinburgh has a lot of good stuff going on. It's quite a different thing from my hometown where I grew up, one of whom's tourist slogans was once, Bedford, it's less than an hour away. <laughs> which was either sense of, there are better things nearby, which you can easily get to from here, or, if you come here in the morning and realise there's nothing to do, you can go somewhere else pretty soon afterwards. Either way, it's not a particularly inspiring thing. But here, we have Edinburgh by Numbers, which is an annual report uh, described as a collection of facts and figures for people who do business here. And it is impressive stuff. And the report states that the people here are younger than the national average, they have more kids than the national average, and slightly curiously, they seem to die less than the national average. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but they talk about the death rate being lower. That's what they say. The death rate is lower in Edinburgh. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's 100%. <laughs> Maybe people go elsewhere. Or well, there's just something about Edinburgh that means people keep living. Residents of Edinburgh are happier than the national average. They are healthier than the national average. They're smarter than the national average, and they are also safer because there's less crime around here. And they recycle more. 
what a great bunch. And they live in a city that's great. With all the education and employment and entertainment that there is around here, it's all over the place. There is also a lower population density than most other UK cities. So there's a lot more space for each of us to hang around in. The air is cleaner. Glasgow's air, the report tells us, is three times worse. So, I mean, if you're thinking of moving, just you know, stay safe. <laughs> and perhaps the most exciting and surprising news of all, it rains less in Edinburgh every month of the year than the UK national average. Did you realise you were living in such a place of such wonderful dryness? <laughs> now, of course, we're blessed to live here. This is a great place. I've lived in Bedford, Birmingham, and South East London. I'm amazed at this place. I think even if I hadn't lived there, I'd still be, you know, I think this is wonderful. But even that last statistic shows you that it's possible to be selectively boastful. It's possible to say, aren't we great? Please don't look at that. Aren't we great, you see, in this way. Sometimes our assessment of what is great requires quite a deal of selectivity or careful comparison choosing. That was not the case for the Apostle Paul. For him, he had one thing to boast about and it was perfect in every way. The cross of Christ to him was beautiful, it was wonderful, it was vital. Now this is very strange behaviour. This is not how most people around Paul at his time would have behaved. He was a Roman citizen and polite Roman citizens didn't talk about crucifixion. It was something reserved for the worst in society. It was a horrendous way to die. They tried, even if the topic did come up, to avoid actually speaking about it. They would use euphemisms like the unlucky tree. That's because they're just like, keep that at a distance. And then Paul, a citizen of Rome, says, I'll boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus. Why? What on earth has got into him that this would be the thing that he would celebrate, that he would talk about more than anything else? He, in fact, celebrates this all the way through Galatians. And so we're going to look at what made him act this way and why we should not only agree with him, but imitate him. Paul isn't just someone to look at, be like, well, what a curious guy. Or even if you're convinced by why he's there, that's nice for him. These are the things I celebrate. Paul is calling all of us to boast in the cross. If you're a Christian, for you to realize the wonders of the cross. If you're here and you're not a Christian here today, I'm hoping to explain to you the brilliant news of Christianity. I want to give you an opportunity at the end to make the cross your boast as well, to put your trust in what Jesus has done for you. So the final section, what we've read, it starts with Paul taking the stylus from his scribe. So often he would dictate his letters and someone else would write them. At this point, he's finishing off, he's like, I'll write the last bit. And he says, I'm writing in large letters. He's saying, listen to me. If I had a word processor, I would put this in bold and underlined and a different colour and a different size. I want your attention, Galatians. And just in case it's wavered over the last couple of minutes as you've been reading the letter, listen up. I'm speaking to you. It's important. There is a distinction, he says, between what I have taught you and what this other group who have been infiltrating the church have taught you. He says, I am a messenger of the true gospel of God. You need to pay attention to that. These other guys who are saying you can only be acceptable to God if you are circumcised and that you obey all the laws that were in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. 
He's saying, no, we are completely different. Do not think, do not think for a second that we're the same. He says, circumcision is unnecessary and it is powerless to help you. He says in verse 13, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Circumcision is like a really painful New Year's resolution. You're like, I'm so committed to doing what God wants. I'm even going to do this. And when I do this, I'll then do other things. And Paul says, no, that won't work. Even those who are circumcised, it doesn't change their heart. He says that those who want to teach this do so because they want to make a good showing in the flesh, to boast in your flesh and to avoid being persecuted. When Paul uses terms like flesh and world, he isn't saying that the physical stuff around us and of us is bad. God made it all. He's going to make it all new one day. But often uh, the world and then our, our flesh are seen as representative of all that is opposed to God. All that kind of goes against God. And so Paul's saying the things that those guys who say they're religious and godly say are important are in fact of the flesh and of the world. They are the very opposite of what they think they should be doing. And they flinch from the cross. Paul says, I don't flinch from the cross at all. I boast in the cross. So that is the distinction. Those are the two scenarios here. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to miss this. And so I, as a preacher to you, I don't want you to miss this. This wonderful cross that Paul boasts in. We're going to look at four things quickly that, is, that throughout the letter explain why he thinks the cross is so wonderful and why the cross is so wonderful. At the cross, we are united with Christ. At the cross, our sin and its consequences are dealt with. At the cross, we receive Christ's righteousness. And at the cross, we are set free from this world. So firstly, at the cross, we are united with Christ. The cross explains why Jesus came. There are many other um, kind of stories of God's coming and being around people. And you think, well, why were you doing that? Was it a kind of curiosity? Uh, was it because things had got a bit out of hand and you wanted to fix them? Um, some people think Jesus came uh, to be amongst us as a person like us as an example. Look at Jesus, then try and do the same thing. The cross tells us that none of those things are the case. Because on the cross, Jesus put himself in our place. It is the climax of his mission on earth. It is what he came to do for us. It was the place of punishment and he was totally innocent. It was the place where rebels go, but Jesus has always perfectly obeyed the Father. He had no need to go there himself, but we needed someone to go there for us. We were desperate. Jesus was totally fine. We were desperate. Jesus goes. Jesus was acting as our substitute, as our representative. And that's why Paul can say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, Paul wasn't even there. But he knows that what Jesus was doing was a representative act, was a substitutionary act. And so he can say, I was there because Jesus was there on my behalf. He was there for me. You cannot have more profound unity than that. You can be good friends with someone. You could be married to someone. You could even have given birth to someone. You're like, well, these are some pretty strong connections. There's no more profound unity than Jesus dying in your place for you. 
That is what the cross does. It proves to us who believe in Jesus, we aren't just his followers, we are in him and he is in us. Communion just pictured that for us. We took the body which represented the bread which represented Jesus' body and we ate it. We participated in him. He came into us, as it were. And we are equally in him. It's why we get baptized. Because he got baptized. And so we kind of get baptized as a as an echo of that, as a claiming of that. Saying, just as he is in us, so we are now in him. We are baptized into Christ and the Bible says into Christ and his death. And we are raised into the same new life that he has. The cross is the transaction moment of that. There is a moment in history when if you're a believer, you weren't connected to God, but the cross now connects you to God. You are in him and he is in you. That is what was happening right there, right then. This is, almost as a side point, all the evidence you need of God's love. All the evidence you need of his care for you, his interest in you. People say, oh, God, feel, he just feels absent at the moment. He seems quite distant. Uh, this has happened. I, I can't, I'm not sure if God can love me if this has happened. The cross says once and for all, he does love you. He has united himself with you. He has died for you. When you look at the cross, we sang songs about it today, it was great. You look at the cross, you see Jesus there for you and you see yourself there with him. God has done that for you. So at the cross we're united with Christ. Secondly, at the cross our sin and its consequences are dealt with. Right at the start of the letter, Paul talks, he says, Jesus who gave himself for our sins. Again, it's the same point. There's a lot of overlap between each one of these points because they're all profoundly connected. Jesus gave himself for our sins. You say, what do I know about God? You know this. If you're not a Christian here today, you're like, what is God like? He's like this. No other religion will tell you this. No other religion has seen him, but he has revealed himself and he's revealing himself to you now, today, and saying, this is what he is like. He gives himself for your sins. So if you live by the law, as Paul's opponents had suggested, if you try and obey all these things and therefore earn God's favour, you live by the law, you die by the law. Paul explains this in Galatians 3.10. He says, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. When you're trying to earn God's favour by doing all the good things that he said, one of the things he said is if you know, break one, break all, and are under a curse. That's a description of sin, our, our failure to do all things right. We rebel against God, the highest being in all the universe, our creator, we rebel against him. In the process of doing this, we hurt and scar others around us and we damage ourselves too. This cannot be left. This cannot just be kind of like, oh, well, never mind. This isn't something you brush under the carpet. This isn't something you say, oh well, because God is just. God is right. God is good. That means sin is an offence to him. Not just in its relationship to you, but in that you hurt others by it, whom he created and who he loves and cherishes. 
and actually it damages you too, and he loves and cherishes you. So he hates it when you sin, for your sake and the sake of others who are hurt, and for his own sake as well. That is a lot of trouble to be in. So our sin brings judgment on us. Paul here describes it as a curse. This curse is one of eternal separation from God. How can we escape such a fate? How can things be changed? By putting our trust in what Jesus did on the cross. That is how it happens. See, Paul describes the problem in 3.10. If you're trying to work under the law, you're under a curse. But then in 3.13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So at the cross, Jesus gives himself for our sins. He puts himself in our place and the Father curses him and because that curse is put on him, it is dealt with. Because someone is punished for our sins, God is satisfied. Jesus took the punishment so that we would never have to. God's love and God's holiness come together at the cross so that he is both just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. So God's holy anger at all you've done and all anyone has done is satisfied in Christ. So he doesn't become unfair. And instead, there's no sin on your account. There's no, there's no sin against your name. Those things you did, those things you're aware of even now, God says, I have no record of that against your name if you put your trust in what my son did for you. You couldn't do this. You could not have dealt with your sin. You cannot deal with your sin. But Jesus has done. So at the cross, we're united with Christ. At the cross, our sin and its consequences are dealt with. At the cross, we receive Christ's righteousness. So what I've already told you is good enough news. All your sin, all the debit, as it were, all the stuff you've, all the debt that you had worked out, God has dealt with all of it when you put your trust in Jesus. It's done. But that's not it. I mean, that would be enough. That'd be enough for me to celebrate forever. But what God not only does, he doesn't just deal with all your debt, he gives you the unlimited credit of Christ's righteousness. Righteousness means our relationship with God, our relationship to God. Jesus has forever existed in perfect unity and harmony with the Father. They've been there forever, loving one another, delighting in one another, enjoying one another. The Father has for eternity been amazed and delighted in the Son. And now you get that righteousness. In Galatians 2.21, Paul says, If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What's the implication? Righteousness has come to us through the death of Christ. We've been united with Christ. He's taken away our sins. So the Father's eternal pleasure at the Son can now be shared with us. There was a barrier between you and the love of God. And there was a completely different kind of love that the Father and the Son have shared forever. And now the cross has destroyed that barrier between you and God's love and has given you that quality of relationship that Jesus and God have had forever. That's the other side of this transaction. That is amazing. When God 
sees you, he sees Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. And that is how God therefore sees you. He relates to you as he relates to his sinless son. And this makes it clear to us that God's forgiveness hasn't been given grudgingly. God hasn't just been like, oh, that's such a mess. But it's easier for me if I forgive them. Okay, fine. Well, that kind of thing. We sometimes think that God doesn't want to forgive us, that he doesn't like to forgive us. But the Bible says he has given us his son's righteousness. If he has done that, that is an act of pure, unnecessary, glorious love. That is what God has done for you. That is what Christ came to do for you. And again, you did none of this. You were centuries away from even being conceived when it was all being one for you. So at the cross we're united with Christ. Our sin and its consequences are dealt with. We get given the righteousness of Christ. And finally we are set free from this world. Paul starts and finishes with this. Almost first line, Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And in the passage we've just read, just as it ends, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So right at the start and right at the end, Paul says there's now profound separation for those who are in Christ from the world in which they currently live. Now, Paul didn't go and live in the desert somewhere and say, I'm separate from the world. No, he, he lived in the cities. He walked and was around in very normal life. But something happens to you when you put your faith in Jesus that changes who you are and that therefore changes how you relate to the world in which you have lived. The, the primary thing is that our identity changes. Previously, we are enemies of God. We were rebelling against him. When you become a Christian, God changes that. And your identity becomes a a son of God, just like the eternal son. So we are God's children, but defined by Christ's sonship. We become new creations. God starts a new life within us. This is a new eternal life that right now feels at odds with the world around us, but turns out to be perfectly fitted for the eternal life to come that God has prepared for us. And so who you are isn't the same anymore. It isn't simply that you've believed some... uh, I used to believe these things, and now I believe these things. So the things I believe have changed. No, when you're a Christian, the things you believe do change, but God changes you. You become a new creation. And so the power of sin, its attractions and its accusations, they just can't hold you anymore. They don't have power over you anymore. Jesus takes the punishment. He gives you his righteousness. He brings you into a relationship with God that you are now alive to. And the things of this world, as the song says, grow a bit dim. The world is still very close to us. Of course it is. But we are no longer bound to it. There was a time when all the meaning of your life and all the joy and all the attraction and all the status and the acceptance and security, all those things were bound up in this life, in this world. If you're a Christian, that has totally changed. All your security now, all your, all your purpose now, all your status now are found in Christ. 
And so you're, it's like you're dislocated from the world. Or as Paul says, you are crucified to it. You die to it. Now this is a thing which is, is true in a moment, but takes a lifetime of working out to experience. Because I know you're, you're hearing me say this and be like, I quite often like the world. I am quite often attracted and want to be, have my status defined by these things in this life as it is. Paul says that doesn't make it not true. It just means you're not living in the truth of it. You can now instead, you enjoy this world. I I enjoy this world. It's great, parts of it. But I'm not dependent on it. I'm not dependent on it for my life or for my purpose or for my security because those are all now found in Christ. And so my relationship to this world has changed profoundly changed. I am dead to it, and it is dead to me. So that's just like a brief tour of Galatians, a brief, brief reminder of what Paul says in Galatians about what the cross has done. It's united us with Christ. It has dealt with our sins. It has given us Christ's right relationship with God, and it has freed us from a sick and decaying world. I think these things are worth boasting in. I think this is amazing news. This is phenomenal. This is wonderful. No wonder Paul reveled in it and celebrated it and said, I'm not going to boast in anything else except this. This is the greatest thing. But not everyone shares Paul's opinion. People in the letter uh, that he is um, speaking of, the opponents, they want to put their confidence elsewhere. Why is that? Why would anyone want to put their confidence elsewhere? Well, Paul explains that his opponents want to trust in and boast in themselves. He says, they are after a good showing in the flesh, that they may boast in your flesh, that the here and now is what grabs hold of people. Now, Christians aren't immune from going back to our old ways, the way of the world that says, I am you know, the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, it is all about me. We're used to trusting in ourselves. We're constantly encouraged to trust in ourselves. Don't be fooled. Don't live that way. How do we avoid that? Seeing as we're told all the time this is how we should live. Apart from, you know... 45 minutes on a Sunday or something like that. The rest of the time, there's a it's kind of, how do you, well, it's by filling the rest of your time with these truths. It's by spending time with God every day, celebrating this and reveling in it, boasting to yourself and to the Lord about what he has done, how great it is. You can, just to, this is, I mean, just to celebrate, to say, Lord, I, you know, you wake up in the morning, you don't even feel good, it's the start of the day, like I've got a whole day ahead of me and I don't feel ready for it. But Lord, you have accepted me in Christ. Even if I sin today, and I don't want it, but even if I do, that sin will have been dealt with at the cross. And the way you're going to look at me the whole day is how you look at your son, Jesus. And all the claims of this world, which I might find difficult, I may even be in upon me, don't ultimately hold on to my life because I'm dead to the world now. It, it can start by us celebrating things that seem unrelated to that, just minor things. Lord, I thank you I'm alive. Thank you I'm conscious of you just about. I thank you I'm aware of you. Thank you, I'm aware of you because you've saved me. I'm aware of you because you died for me. Thank you that I'm not fearful about my sins today because you have dealt with them. 
we come to God and we celebrate him, we delight in him, we don't hope that we'll be reminded on Sunday. We tell ourselves now who we are in Christ. It's just one of the ways of, of making sure your confidence is in God and the other things. The other way of doing this, I think, is to just to do things that really only God can come through on. When you put your trust in God, he is shown to be great. The whirlwind six months that the Duggans have had has been a remarkable thing to observe. And you just see how God has again and again and again broken through for them. Because they've put themselves in a place of faith. In the same way, reflecting on, uh, you know, kind of Matt needing to take a break, and you think, Matt, 13 years. Look what God has done here over 13 years. You don't have to go somewhere new to do that. They were just there uh, from 13 years, and God has done an amazing thing here with this church. We had our missional church conference last month. And it's been great to speak to people who have said, I feel so stirred to stay. And others say, I feel stirred to go. And both of those are faith adventures. Both of those, we are saying, God, you need to break in on this. You need to come in on this. We need your power at work. We need your uh, spirit to be saving people. It's you, Lord, who's got to do this, whether we go or whether we stay. As we live this way, as we do this, we see God break in. You know from your own lives, some of you, the times you've most seen God and you've had your faith most increased is when you were most desperate. And sometimes we have to put ourselves in those situations a little bit. And when you find that happen, you think, man, I can't believe I was trusting in that other thing instead. When God provides, you think, I was asking someone else to provide. What was wrong with me? Look at God, he's a great provider. It's, just, it's a way of thinking that changes how we think. Another reason we might put our confidence elsewhere is the persecution uh, that Paul references. He talks about having the marks of Jesus on him. He means scars from when he was physically attacked for declaring the gospel. And they were real horrible things. He's literally, I have scars from this. But he saw those as smaller than the wonders of who Jesus was and what he had done for it. He says elsewhere in Romans, says that I compare my sufferings now to be nothing compared with the weight of glory that is to come. As you fix your eyes on Jesus, as you celebrate and make yourself cognizant of what he has done, it, it changes, or it, it, the, the flip side is if you're not aware of those things, the struggles that being a Christian cause become more and more significant, more and more important, more and more filling your life. You're aware of those more than you are aware of what Jesus has done. We know elsewhere in the world today, Christians are being offered a choice. Repent, you know, turn away from Christianity, deny Christianity, or die. For us, it, it isn't that bad. It's nowhere near that bad. We kind of, there's a degree of ridicule. Do you really believe that? That ridicule can harder to contempt. I can't believe you believe that. And some restrictions of freedom, things you mustn't say or do. And then you're, you know, some of you will be aware of what those things are and what they are in your jobs and, and, and things like that. And it can start to feel like, man, I can't do this, and I can't do that. And I know what they think of me, and I know what they even maybe say about me behind my back, because I believe these things. And it, those things can just get very large in our eyes. That's why we need to focus on Christ. That's why we need others to help us do this. We need, um, we need each other 
to encourage one another. When one's down, another one picks them up. When one's feeling low, another one encourages them with the truth of the gospel. When we share wisdom and when we pray for one another, we need each other on this. Thinking about boasting in the cross, sometimes I think we tell stories that, that even as Christians we're like, look what God gave me, it was wonderful. And, and the danger is we, we look at the thing more than the God who gave it to us. And they can be good things. So we can tell stories that say God's given me a job, he's given me a spouse, he's given me kids, he's given me healing. All those things are wonderful, but they are not where our hope lies. Or at least they mustn't be. That mustn't be what your hope lies in. I now have a job. I now have a spouse. I now have kids. I now, uh, my body's in a better condition than it was before. All those things are wonderful, but they are not where your hope is. Paul said to the Philippians, For God's sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. As he says here, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's, so that's what Paul's like. Whatever's going on, even the good things he has, he says, that's nothing compared to Jesus. He is so wonderful. He is so glorious. I'm amazed by him. And Jesus said, yeah, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As we are filling our hearts and our minds with God and God alone, with his salvation and his salvation alone. And that's why if you're going through a particularly tough time at the moment, I want you to see this is a huge opportunity because there's nothing else you can trust in right now. So trust in God and see how trustworthy he is. What will this look like? Last thing. What does it look like when all our trust is in God and all our boast is in him? I want to give you a couple of extreme examples. In 1873, uh, the guy who looks like he's from 1873 there, Horatio Spafford was his name. His name sounds like he's from 1873. He wrote a hymn that we still sing occasionally called It Is Well With My Soul. He began writing it when he was on a ship, and the ship was sailing across the Atlantic. And at that point, when he started to write it, it was at the point where a ship that had been carrying his wife and four daughters had hit another ship and sunk, and his four daughters had been drowned. And the reason they had been on the move was because they had been, a couple of years before, ruined financially. He'd been a prosperous guy. Uh, they were ruined. And so they were moving to try and make a new life. And then so much of what they thought their life was to be about was taken from them. And as the ship sailed... He wrote this song, It Is Well With My Soul. A couple of the verses go, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Didn't make his daughters any less dead or the grief any less severe, but above everything else and defining everything else, he saw the cross and what it had done. And so he could say, it is well with my soul. You may have seen the other photo 
during this week. This is the church in Charleston where the prayer meeting was held where the guy went in and, and shot nine of them. You may also have seen the video that started going around. Of, there's a kind of court hearing or something where uh, right at the start of the, the legal process where the representatives of the victims uh, speak to the court. And, um, and one by one, uh, these Christian relatives of these Christian people who were killed say to the guy who killed their relatives, I forgive you. And the husband of one of the women who was shot says, I forgive you and my family forgives you, but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so he can change it and change your ways no matter what happened to you and you'll be okay through that and better off than how you are right now. I said those are extreme examples but the moment you have now is thinking, could I live like that? Well, God gives you the grace you need when you need it so don't try and imagine that. But this is what it looks like when we prize the cross above all other things. When we have been forgiven, our sins have been dealt with, and we've been united with Christ, and we have a righteousness that isn't our own, but is his instead. When that happens, even songs like that can be written, and statements like that can be made. This is what it's like to be so overwhelmed with the goodness of God. So in a moment we're going to sing a song that just reminds us of this again. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage us. Let us be a people who boast. If you're a British Christian here, the first half of the sentence you're used to. Far be it from me to boast. (laughs) It's not biblical. You're halfway there. Far be it from me to boast. Except, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to boast, to be boastful about this. There's a shamelessness about boasting. When I talk about the things that I love and the people that I love and things that I love, I honestly don't care what you think about them. I don't care what you think about me at that point. I'm saying them because I think they're great. I think that's what's going on here with Paul. Obviously, he wants to win the Galatians round. Of course he does. But he says, even if you disagree, I'm going to boast. I'm going to say he's great. And as you do that in... Some of you are going to do that in some new scenarios. Places where it's going to feel awkward. And it isn't that you're saying... Someone says, how's your weekend? Great, I I need to tell you about how I'm united with Christ. It may not be that to start with. It may be, do you know what? I went to church on Sunday. It was wonderful. I was reading a report this week about a guy who, uh, he was a, a journalist who wanted to uncover the corruption in FIFA. And so he went to a FIFA press conference where he knew all the middle-ranking people would be, as well as the high head honchos. And he knew that he would, he, he thought, if I'm going to get into this story, I need a middle-ranking person who's sick of all of this. And so he went to the press conference, and he grabbed the microphone, and he said to Seth Blatter, who runs FIFA, Herr Blatter, have you ever accepted a bribe? And obviously, you know, he got bundled out and there was... Blah, 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 blah. He said, a week later, someone rang me and said, come and meet me. 
and he was brought into the FIFA headquarters by one of those middle-ranking people who was just looking for someone to be a, a, almost like a lightning rod for them. There's something about boasting in the Lord, declaring the goodness of God. There are people where you work, there are people where you live, maybe even people in your family, they are looking for this in. And you are going to be the means of that. And yes, of course it takes boldness on your part. Live in a culture in which you know, there's a load of other evil things you can boast in, but how dare you boast about this? So, yeah. But it's worth it. It's worth it for them, and it's worth it for him. So let's be a people who boast in the Lord. I believe as we do that, we'll answer Paul's closing prayer, that the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Let's stand. The band are going to come up. And we're going to slightly overrun, so I'm apologising to the kids' workers, even though they can't hear me. But I want us to sing, because there's there's something rightly boastful in singing. There's something about singing at the top of your lungs, the greatness and the wonder and the glory of Christ. And maybe this is all new to you today. And God is saying, if you put your trust in Jesus, this can be true for you too. Either come and have a word with me or go up to the prayer team who are ready up on the balcony and they will speak with you about this. Let's sing and boast.